Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing to, uh, we'll just let him describe it, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So Paul is addressing the Colossians. He's with Timothy. He refers to him as Timotheus. And he's addressing the Colossians. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1, to kind of help set the stage. He says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Now, conflict here is described in my center column reference as care. The great care that I have for you. Interesting, the Greek word conflict. And you can understand how whenever you have deep-seated care for an individual, how there is conflict in your heart. Looking at the word from an English standpoint. When there's conflict, it's something that you can't turn loose of, something that keeps gnawing at you, something that's ever-present in your heart. And the care that Paul had for these brethren at Colossae was a nagging in his heart. It was a conflict. It was a deep, deep care that he had for them. But notice, he says, And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul hadn't ever met them in person. Yet he had this great care for them, and he describes why he has this great care for them in the first chapter. So let's look. He says, we give thanks, this is verse 3, to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now we know that the Apostle Paul had this incredible influence among the New Testament churches in the first century there during his generation. And you look at his experience. Here's a man that came up under the, under the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most highly esteemed professors of the law in their generation. Here, Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin, right? As far as pedigree goes, it was a notable tribe to come from out of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was a Pharisee, a lawyer. He was a Pharisee, not only of Not only a Pharisee, but he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he himself was a notable Pharisee. He was highly esteemed and highly regarded concerning the law, right? He was also a man that persecuted the church. If you study the life of Paul, many times you could see yourself in his life. I see myself in the life of Paul. I see my life kind of matching his life in many respects. You know, I have a sordid past. 
he held the coats and gave consent to the men that killed Stephen. We use the language that comes from God's word, stoned him to death, right? He held their coats. He had a letter from the high priest. He had authority. And Stephen had just recently been ordained as a deacon in the church, one to wait on and serve the tables of the church. A man that when called upon, busted out into this amazing sermon that cut the hearers to the heart. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were pricked in the heart, right? Their reply was, men and brethren, what shall we do? When Stephen preached, they were cut to the heart and they killed him. Big difference in audiences there, right? You had an audience that was prepared by the Lord, and you had an audience there that was prepared by the law. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Aren't you glad that we're not under that old law? I'm talking about being under the rudiments of the law as it had become under the institution of religion. So-called religion. Man, I'm thankful that we're under the grace dispensation and that I'm living this side of the law. This side of Christ finishing the work that the Father gave him to do, which was to deliver us from the law, as it was and as it had become under the work of religion so-called of their day and age. You see, not all religions are proper religions. James teaches, and I guess I owe it to us now to read that text, just so we have the proper definition of religion. What is it that James says about that over here? Where he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, James, pure religion is... No, I'm sorry. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Here's your definition of religion. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The very simple definition of religion given by James, as authorized and inspired in God's Word. I'll take James' definition. But anytime we begin to insert the works and conditions and creativity of man or organizations 
into religion, it becomes defiled. It's defiled religion. We don't want any part of the defiled religion, do we? Defiled religion all has something in common based on an observation, and that is it is made up of people who think and consider themselves to be equal to or greater than God. That's not us. And it's not them. For some reason I've kind of had I've been on this little this path recently. And that is we're not God. Stop trying to be God. When we stop trying to be God, life gets pretty sweet. Life gets amazing when we stop trying to be God. All of a sudden, we're pleasant to be around. All of a sudden, you know, the law of attraction kicks in. <laughs> the law of repelling occurs when we pose ourselves as God. Who wants to be around somebody who thinks they're God? Nobody. Not a very pleasant thing to be around is somebody that considers themselves to be God. It's blasphemy. Absolute blasphemy. But notice, any time that we fail to rely on Him as instructed by His Word, are we not placing ourselves in a position of being God? How often and how much of our day is filled with operating on our own strength, filled with neglecting this amazing power and voltage from heaven to empower and supercharge our lives. When we pull out instead the AAA battery of self and try to make it on our own and try to just take care of it, sweep it under the rug. when all of the power and all of the energy and all that God has in terms of what He has in store for us is right there. And guess what? It's always been there. It's always on. It's never turned off. It reminds me of the text. He's not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is operating on your own power, on your own strength, on your own intelligence. You know what that'll get you? Well, just stay on that track and see where you end up. He's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a, a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Whenever we recognize Him as the authority in our lives, that is acquainted with a sound mind. 
to have a sound mind. I want a sound mind. Don't you want a sound mind? I don't want an unsound mind. That doesn't sound very appealing. I want a sound mind. I want to operate based upon the authority and the wisdom that comes from God and not from Steve. When we operate on the power and authority that comes from God, we will always be right. You want to be right? We all want to be right. In fact, sometimes people will argue to death over right and wrong. I'm talking about literal death, people killing each other. We hear about a family, or at least a couple, driving through McDonald's. One of them pulls out a gun and shoots the other one in the head. Kills them dead in the drive-thru of McDonald's. Why? Probably because of a disagreement over who is right and who is wrong. Guess what, brethren? As long as we look to Him and His power, His wisdom, His authority, nobody dies. Because we're always right. Why? Because He is always right. Because He is God and we're not. Now, if I could just flip the switch. If I could just flip the switch. And every step I take from now on, walking that path, life would be righteous. But unfortunately, before the end of the day, I'm going to put my faith in the wrong place. I'm going I'm to put my belief over here in the wrong place. And I'll suffer and I'll pay for it. That's why it takes so much energy, so much labor. The gut-wrenching labor of self-righteousness is destructive, brethren. And it's a waste of our energy. It's kind of like Lisa. Whenever she spends hours and hours and hours and hours tying hundreds of thousands of knits, she corrects me. She says, it's not a knot, it's a knit. There's a difference. It's a slip knot, right? But, and then she places her masterpiece on the table. And Martha, the iRobot vacuum cleaner, kicks on and sucks her whole knitted piece up into the wheels. All of that energy, all of that time, all of that care, all of that love is completely unwound. It's the same concept. We put in all of this energy and time and strength into something that is easily unwound when we rely on our own strength and our own power. We just do. Have you ever seen anybody train an iRobot? They follow it around kicking it. The thing that you know, it just has a mind of its own. It just goes all over the house. 
It was the worst Christmas gift I ever could have given Lisa because she frets and worries more about where that thing goes than, I mean, it's a hobby. She, and then she kicks it, picks it up, moves it. It's more work than vacuuming the house. And it unravels her knitting. She'll dash across the house to go save her peace. But why do we labor for that which is not meat? It's scriptural. Why do we? <clears throat> These brethren at Colossae were complimented by Paul, whom they had never met. Look what he says. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. These brethren learned about heaven from the gospel. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye learned of Epipharis, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So the man that was preaching the gospel to them, that was blessed of God to preach in their hearing, and God blessing the receiving of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel in the Holy Spirit, which fuses it all together, was this man named Epipharis. Epipharis was a fellow laborer with the apostles. But he was blessed to preach. The Colossians were blessed to hear. And it bore fruit. Who also declared unto us your love of the Spirit. So not only that, Epipharis was a messenger. You know, whenever we have our meetings one time a year, we send messengers. You ever wonder where that came from? Here is a messenger, Epipharis, of the church at Colossae, speaking on behalf of them to the Apostle Paul, informing, informing Paul of their love in the Spirit and what wonderful experiences that they were enjoying at Colossae. That's pretty good news, isn't it? It's disturbing when we hear news that things aren't going so well at churches. You know? That's, that's, just not, that's kind of disturbing news when things are just not right. Things are not completely going the way they should. It's just disturbing news. But the news that came out of Colossae is that these brethren were being blessed of the Lord, and they're all dwelling together in unity. And the Lord is blessing them from above. The Holy Ghost is present, knitting together the hearts of those who love the Lord at Colossae. 
There is nothing more special, brethren, than feeling and experiencing the hearts of God's people being knit together in love. It's pretty special. I feel ultimately blessed with the hearts that are knit together in love here at Fort Smith Primitive Baptist Church and the churches that I'm familiar with. In fact, last night, I was asked how Fort Smith was doing. How are things at Fort Smith? The question was posed to me. <clears throat> now, Brother Cal would say, I haven't heard any shouting lately. <laughs> he would always say that. You know. How was church last night? Well, nobody shouted. I said, we haven't had a whole lot of interest, meaning outside interest, people you know, coming to visit, coming to see. But the Spirit of God has been present in this place unless I am absolutely and totally deceived. Amen. We haven't had a whole lot of outside interest. We haven't had a lot of things like that that sometimes are pretty, uh, bring about enthusiasm, right? But I'll tell you, the Spirit of God has been present and we have the spiritual enthusiasm and we have a great hope. We're hanging on and I don't think we're hanging on by our, our fingernails. Now we're hanging on to something that's bigger than us. We're hanging on to something that's connected to promises that were given by a God, our God, who cannot lie. He promised them before the world began. And we have a group that's in hope of eternal life. It's pretty special. It's been a really good place to be, and I'll just say thank you, brethren. Thank you. And this same report that that uh, Epipharis is giving to Paul concerning the church at Colossae is the report consistent with what I've given when I'm asked. Church has been blessed. I'll always qualify that and I'll say in spite of me, it's not because of me, it's in spite of me. And I think everybody in the room would say the same thing. It's in spite of me, but God continues to bless. I don't understand it, but he does. And did you know I am absolutely convinced that that is the spirit that prevails in churches that are blessed abundantly. And that is blessed because the brethren that go to make up the body of Christ, that particular church, esteem one another more highly than they esteem themselves. They look not every man on their own things, but on the things of others. God blesses that attitude, that humility. He blesses the contrite and broken spirit of His people. God has given us something very, very, 
beautiful here and we should do everything we can to preserve it and not mess it up. Let's not mess it up. Don't let me mess it up. And you know how to fix that. Don't let any man mess it up. Don't let anybody take it away from you, brethren. Don't let any other legal beagle come through here and start throwing down and slapping laws down on you to kill the spirit of this church. Don't let that happen. They're out there. That spirit exists. And most usually, you could always, you could always detect it after a while because it's a little darker in the room than it normally would be. Whenever somebody is bringing in the idea of legalism, the light's just kind of dim. The spirit is not as detectable. We leave feeling worse than when we came. In some cases, leaving more confused than we were when we came. How? It's because you're mixing law with grace, and Paul says these two cannot coexist. It's either law or it's grace. News for you. Newsflash. It's grace and grace alone. I just can't understand why we don't have to buy these lots next to us over here. You know, they sold this house over here. They're selling this lot over here. I cannot comprehend why it is that we don't have to buy these places for parking. Because we have the greatest news on the planet. There's no greater news than God's free and unmerited grace. The child of God is yearning, thirsting to hear about their freedom to be set free from the bondage that's between their ears and that holds them prisoner in their heart. Listen to this. This is a beautiful text that goes right along with this. Listen, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, right? And to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We're not subject to bondage. Newsflash, we're not subject to bondage. We're not subject to the bondage of the law. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. I'll tell you, you know, I have mixed feelings about the vaccination thing. I mean, just like everybody else, but, you know, and that is an individual decision, and I think it needs to stay there. We don't need to 
become gods and determine who's, you know, whether it's right or wrong. That's not our decision. It's an individual decision, right? Everybody's free. We respect that. Praise God. Right? Well, I decided to get one. And I'll tell you, when I got that thing, I felt so free. It was like, thank God, this whole year, you know, this thing has just been compounding and compounding and it's like driving us nuts. And depression and everything else that has gone along with it, the, the ebb and flow of insanity over this thing. And it was like that one little shot was like, I'm free! <laughs> Even though it's only 72% effective. Maybe. But there's something about not being in bondage and being free. It's a special place to be. We're not in bondage. We're free. Verse 9, we're making our way here. We're not going to go through the whole chapter just to, so you don't worry about the ending point. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, that is the good news that Colossae is being blessed of the Lord abundantly and the Spirit of God is present and I mean there is an overflowing of the Spirit there. Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So just because the church had the blessings of the Holy Ghost baptizing her, think about it, whenever, whenever the Holy Ghost baptizes the church by showing up, I believe the Holy Ghost shows up whether we recognize Him or not. Whether, he, whether we recognize him or not, Holy Ghost is present. But even though these brethren were blessed, Paul continued to pray for them that certain things might continue to increase. One, their knowledge. Knowledge is power. Not only in an academic way, not only in a credentialing way, you know, that, that develops a certain level of trust for employers to hire people who have proven that they are capable of learning certain trades or certain subjects and have successfully become degreed. But for you and me in a church setting, Knowledge is also power. Knowledge is power for us too. Remember, God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power. Where does that power come from? It comes from Him and it comes from knowledge. 
Where does a sound mind come from? It comes from him and it comes from knowledge. Paul prayed that they might be filled with all knowledge of his will and wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy. that you might work, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, knowledge of God is pretty important according to the Apostle Paul, isn't it? That means that one of the greatest sources of wisdom and knowledge that we can access is found in his words. We ought to spend five minutes a day if we're not spending any time in the book, we should, we should spend five minutes a day, minimum ten minutes a day, with our coffee. We flip the light on. We have the book in an expected place. We have a routine. We spend five, ten, fifteen, thirty minutes with this book, with the scripture. If you don't know where to start, read the New Testament. Just start, it won't take you long. Or if you feel like you need some in-depth wisdom, read Proverbs. Some people object, you know, to reading the Bible because of the these and the thous and in, in, the, in the old English, which, by the way, I love, I cherish that. If it's not, if that to me is cadence, it's rhythm, it's, it, it, it makes it easier to memorize it. It just flows like a song. It's a wonderful thing the way this is written in English. But if, if some of that's a little difficult, you know, you might want to stay out of Job. That's tough, man. There's some tough reading in Job. Just the way the words and the structure is put together, it's tough. But there are some super, super deep concepts in Job. But if you want some some simple reading and simple guidance for life. Read Proverbs. And just read three verses a day. We are to increase in knowledge. It fortifies us. It chases away fear. It empowers the child of God. It electrifies our life. Adds a bounce to our step. A sparkle in our eye adds confidence in the Lord. Don't you want to feel better during the course of the day? Not because of yourself, but because of what God has done for you. And what God has given you in terms of His wisdom. What's interesting here is that the apostle begins a prayer. And I really haven't ever noticed this. And, but he's praying now. And he's informing the church there. You know, he never says that it's a church. He just said it was, you know, to those that were faithful. So whether or not there was a church at Colossae, I have no idea. But we know that there were brethren there to the saints and the brethren of Christ, which are at Colossae, right? that he had never met. We know that. But he's praying for them now. And he's outlining to them the prayer that he offers up for them. 
Think about this too. You can see how Paul's days were just completely full with prayer. There were a minimum, we know, of a dozen churches, I'm sure many more, that Paul had influence as an apostle in the Constitution establishment. He was deeply invested in the churches in the region, okay? And as a result, Paul prayed continually for those churches, right? Think about the amount of time Paul spent praying for those churches. You could see how his life was absolutely consumed with praying for them because he mentions that he prays for all of them when he addresses them in the 14 letters that he wrote. How much of our time is spent praying for the churches? You know, as a minister, as an elder, a bishop, someone that's called into the ministry that is preaching, how much time do I spend praying for the church at Fort Smith or the churches in general? You can see that Paul gave himself fully to the ministry. He even used the word addicted. He addicted himself to the ministry. And you can see that he would lay awake at night praying for the churches. He was fully invested. Let's look at the outline real quick. Just a few minutes and we'll be, and we'll be finished. Look at the outline of the prayer that, that uh, Paul gives here. One, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Right? And then verse 12, this is kind of what threw me. Here's, once again, this is one of the items in his prayer outline for the church at Colossae. Because we've quoted this text dozens and dozens of times. And had never considered it in that light. Giving thanks unto the Father. Who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. If you dissect this, you're going to notice that the principles or the articles of faith that hang on our wall are contained in this prayer. <clears throat> Giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son. We believe in one true and living God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Right? We believe in irresistible grace. The effectual calling. Having translated us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. There's the effectual calling for you. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Well, hey, there is... Effectual atonement, otherwise known on our Articles of Faith as limited atonement, 
Some people object to the word limited because it sounds limiting when in fact there's nothing limiting as far as God's concerned, but the word effectual works too because that means that he got it, jump, he got it done, right? We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He was sent for a specific people and he bled and died for them and he finished the work and heaven is their home, period. It's the end of the sentence. Even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? We believe in one true and living God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. These three are in one. Now, if you really want to have your mind completely wiped out and blown, just look at that. Christ was the image of the invisible. The image of the invisible God. Brother Arbel is the one who wiped my mind out with that one. How do you process that? He's the image of the invisible. Hmm. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Question, who created heavens and the earth? Which person in the Godhead was ascribed with that authority? It was the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him. There was nothing made that wasn't made by him. And it's by him that all things consist. How is it that our bodies are held together? This dust is held together. Yeah, there's some water in it. We're nothing but mud. We're nothing but clay. Go back and read about the curse that fell upon Adam whenever he transgressed the law of God. That the earth, that where he came from, that God took the dust of the earth and he formed a man in the dust of the earth. Obviously, there had to be a little moisture put in there for it to become mud and, a, and clay. That's what this body is nothing more than clay with electricity in it. It's all it is. If you, if you boil it down, the miracle of God's creation, how in the world could he have done such a thing? Well, he did. Every mathematical, scientific, biological, physiological science ever known to man is contained in you, in your body, and in my body. The miracle of God's creation. How can we deny that there is a God? He takes that dust and he forms man and he breathes in his nostril. He becomes a living soul. And when he transgressed the law, guess what was cursed? The dust. From whence he came. Anytime we get into a briar patch, anytime we have these weeds coming up, anytime we have we have, we we notice that we're going to have to labor in the earth and the dirt, it is a it is a reminder to us that yes, there was a transgression. Sin is real, and we still are eating bread by the face or the sweat of our face. That hadn't changed. I say it attests to the fact that God's word is absolutely true. Try planting that tomato patch and letting it grow itself. See how productive it is. Try planting your herb garden and see how productive it is on its own. Let us be reminded of grace whenever we 
weed our garden patch. God's grace is sufficient. Listen to what he says next. Just one more verse. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. There's a period there. That's where I'm going to stop. So you can see part of this outline that the apostle is giving to the church of Colossae. He's letting them into the details of his prayer. These, I, 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 I cease not to pray for you that your knowledge may increase. And here are the other things that are included in my prayer for you. That's pretty huge if you think about it. So maybe we ought to take a little lesson from Paul whenever we do pray for one another. Maybe we ought to express that to one another. We all have needs and we all are aware of one another's needs and what would happen if when we get together and we say, Sister Lisa, I'm praying for you that your robot vacuum cleaner doesn't eat your knitted material, I'm sorry. You know? Or whatever the case might be. Whatever, whatever the case might be. Or if we're praying for the church. What would be wrong with at the conclusion of church for an individual to stay, to stand and say, brethren, I've had it on my heart, I've had a burden, and I've been praying for this church that God would add interest, that He would stir up the pure minds of His people in this community, in this neighborhood. People who have lived here for 45 years and have never darkened the door of this facility. I'm praying that God would lay it on their heart to come and see What would happen if we would share the details of our prayers with one another? I know this for a fact, it would bless our hearts. This morning as I read, I was thinking about Sister Brenda Charles, the, the late brother Arvel Charles' widow. And I pick up my phone and I send her a message. I said, Sister Brenda, I'm reading my Bible and I'm thinking of you. And I pray that your day is full of blessings. Those little gestures like that. What are we praying for? Let's inform one another of what we're praying 